Right, good morning, everyone. Right, good to see all of you here in the morning of the first day of Chinese New Year. Right? And to all of us here, to those celebrating Chinese New Year, I want to wish all of you a Xinyan Kuai Le. Xinyan Kuai Le. Xinyan Meng Fu. And when I think about Chinese New Year, one of the first few things that come to mind is definitely food. Right? And there are just so many goodies you can think of. Pineapple, tarts, bakwa, cookies, chocolate, steamboat, etc. And the amazing thing is that they are all gathered in one accord, right, in many Chinese homes. And so it's no wonder why diet goals for New Year resolutions usually don't work, because Chinese New Year is always prowling around the corner. Right, and in this difficult time, right, let us also keep our brothers and sisters in Project 48 in prayer. (laughs) Pastor Chris is here also, he's a part of the Project 48, right? And for me, right, the food that comes to mind during Chinese New Year is actually, strangely, pao. You may wonder, you know, why pao? Ah? Because pao is not a Chinese New Year gooey, right? But on every first day of Chinese New Year, I always eat pao. And it's not because I like pao. Ah, because on normal days, I usually don't eat pao. Man. So the reason I eat pao is this. Ah, you know, on first day of Chinese New Year, most of the stalls at the coffee shop are all closed. Ah. So before I visit Joy's parents to Pai Nian, right, I will need to fill my stomach first. Because their family, they eat vegetarian for the whole day. Ah. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of vegetarian food, so I cannot. Uh. That's why I must take away something to eat beforehand, and it's usually pao, because that's the only thing that's available. Right? Even toast, uh, sometimes they also don't have. Uh. And come to think of it, I feel quite sad for the pao when I buy and take away. You guys know why? Because it's just the first day of Chinese New Year, it cannot work already, because I ta pao. Uh. <laughs> the ta pao means take away, uh, but it also sounds like hitting the pao in Chinese, uh, for those of you who don't know Chinese, right? I know this is like the first day of CNY, and uh, this is supposed to be a sermon, so I shouldn't be so lame. Uh. Um, and perhaps we should make our talk more wholesome and more godly, right? So let me ask you all, okay? Uh, what do you think is the most righteous pao? Anyone? Oh, I heard some of the answer, one answer just now over there, right? So I think it's Justice Pao or Pao Ching Tian. <laughs> you can see this is Pao Ching Tian. If you don't know, you can go and Google. <laughs> So uh, this one is also quite lame, uh, but I think got justice and righteousness, so it's fitting for a servant. Uh. Then we do one last one, okay? So just humor me a bit. Uh. This one got prize on if you get it right. right. But only children can answer, okay? And then you must come up to the front. So there is a mic over there. You come up to the front, you can answer, okay? Uh, for children only, uh, what do you think is the most popular pal? Come, come forward, come forward. For children, you come forward, right? <laughs> To the mic, yeah, there's a mic in front. Maybe Pastor Sam, can you help me just open up, take out the mic? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, what is the most popular bow? Hong Bao. Wow, congrats. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on to the front. Uh, yeah. So, you must really bless people, right? So, you say Hong Bao, I must give you Hong Bao also, right? You give me a Hong Bao. <laughs> Hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. He looks a bit disappointed, right? <laughs> yeah, I give you the real Hong Pao. La. <laughs> okay, happy Chinese New Year. I can take this back, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, I hope you all had a little fun. Maybe I had a little fun. <laughs> so we can begin today by reading a short passage, right, from, from uh, Luke chapter 5. Shall we read it together? Uh, read together now. Uh, it's on the screen. So one, two, three. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. 
And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. My Father God, as we are gathered here this morning to read your word and hear your word, may we find your words to be like honey to our lips and water to our soul. May we taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The short story today is about Matthew who is also called Levi in this story. And we have just read in verse 29 that Matthew made Jesus a great feast in his house. Can everyone say great feast? Great feast. This is, uh, I can sense sound, I can hear the gusto. You're especially enthusiastic today because you're all going for a great feast later, right? And I hope to encourage us that as we enjoy this season of feasting, we will also keep our eyes on the Lord and his purpose. And hence, I've titled the sermon for today, Make a Feast to the Lord. Feasting in itself is not uniquely a Christian thing, right? It is a human thing. Everyone does it. I think that is why God, knowing very well how we are wired, also instituted seven feasts in the Bible, right? And these feasts are meant to be kept and also enjoyed, right? Also enjoyed. Sometimes we forget about that. While each feast was meant to remind the people something about God, the reminder is not taught but caught. It is through participating in the feasts and festivals that people catch the purpose. And every special occasion has its own reason for celebration. Chinese New Year was traditionally celebrated for the coming of spring, and with it usually also marks a time of reunion and gathering, especially in the past where people might be away from home most of the year because of work. Today, it is a time where friends and families make extra effort to meet up and catch up. And when we actually meet up during Chinese New Year, we don't always consciously think of it as the coming of spring, right? Definitely not in Singapore, right? Or that it is meant for a reunion. We are usually more concerned with things like food and ang pao's. And this is the way that feasts and festivals are meant to be, right? It's not like a lecture where we are taught, but through the celebration, there is something to be caught. And I would say for an occasion like Chinese New Year, which has so much history, tradition, and roots in our society, Most of us who have experienced it, I think we have caught the purpose. It is a time where we meet up with family and friends who we might not get to meet up during the year. So in the midst of our celebration this festive season, how can God too be a part of it? You know, after all, Chinese New Year is not one of the seven feasts in the Bible, at least from my last reading. uh, So how can we celebrate it in a way where God is at the center and God is pleased? So today we will look at the story of Matthew, the tax collector, and consider why he made Jesus a feast. Then we'll look at what the Bible says about making a feast to the Lord. And finally, we'll discuss how we can make our feasting in this season a feast to the Lord. Right, our text today in verse 29 tells us that Matthew made Jesus a feast. The, the feast was for Jesus. It's not for eating and drinking or for himself or even for his friends, even though all these are present. It is for Jesus. No, why, why did Matthew want to do that? Well, there's not actually a whole lot of detail in this passage. It's a very short story. The earlier two verses only told us that Jesus asked Matthew to follow him. And the next verse already shows us Matthew making the feast. 
You know, we all know how to feast and we all enjoy feasting. And that's because feasting is a celebration. And we celebrate to remember and honor something or someone special. But whether it is Chinese New Year or Christmas or weddings or even birthdays, very often we feast to celebrate. But we have a good time enjoying ourselves by eating and drinking. And sometimes we also feast to honor someone. Uh, that's why we also often have welcome or farewell meals at our workplaces, right? It's perhaps an uh, excuse to have an extended lunch. But really also it's a way of appreciating and honoring the person. Right, so I think the reason why Matthew made Jesus a feast was simply because he wanted to celebrate. To feast is to celebrate. And the conversation with Jesus eventually led to a celebration. But there is also something that took place between the conversation and the celebration. Right after Jesus asked Matthew to follow him in verse 27 and in verse 28, it tells us that Matthew left everything. Right, can everyone say everything? Right, he left everything, right? It is like Thanos in Avengers Infinity War where his uh, daughter Gamora asked him, what did it cost right, to do all the evil that he did? And Thanos replied, everything. You know, when something costs everything, it must be worth more than everything. Right? It, well, I said that again. Right? When something costs everything, it must be worth more than everything because if the value of the thing you want to get is just the same as everything you're going to give up, why go through the trouble? Right, in the Bible, there is also the parallel of the pole, parable of the pole of great price. Right, do you think it makes sense for the merchant to sell all he had for that pole if the pole is even of just the same value? Right, the learning point of the parable is not just sacrifice, but also gain. Right, when we leave behind everything for the kingdom of God, on a human level, it can be seen as a sacrifice still. Right, because there is a great price to pay, and the cost can still hurt. But on an objective spiritual level, we actually gain. Where the kingdom of God is priceless, and hence our gain is of infinite value. Where we are only able to leave behind everything when we see the true value in God's kingdom. Where Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.6 that godliness is great gain. And he explains it in no uncertain terms that this great gain is not financial gain, but a spiritual one. And in today's story, Matthew, by the grace of God, was able to see the greater value in following Jesus, and he willingly gave up everything he had to make the feast. But his celebration came with a consecration. And there is reason for celebration because Matthew had found Jesus and he saw infinite worth in following him. So at the same time, preparing for this celebration requires his consecration. Right, consecration is the setting apart or the laying down of our lives. When Matthew left everything, that's his consecration. Right, so what, what was that everything that Matthew left behind? Because it seems that he would still make a feast and he would still have a big house party after that. Right, from the text, we can see that it does not mean literally giving away his possessions. And my interpretation is this, right? Is that he left behind his whole life, which includes his whole livelihood, the very thing that made him who he was as a wealthy tax collector. And that was his everything. Right, as you all know, you know, tax collectors were basically people who worked for the Roman government, and he was supposed to collect taxes from people. And the people really disliked them because they had earned themselves a bad reputation by telling people they owed more than they did, and they pocketed the difference. And that's how Matthew and the other tax collectors became rich. 
And Matthew was probably particularly successful because when he threw the party, the Bible tells us that there was a large company of tax collectors. So he must be an influencer, right? a popular influencer of his time with many followers. So when the text says that Matthew left everything, it is this whole life that he left behind. And he has decided to follow Jesus and quit being a tax collector. But to clarify, it is not as though Matthew was required to quit his job. Because in Luke chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, John the Baptist taught tax collectors, those who wanted to be baptized, that they needed to change their ways and just need to collect no more than they are authorized to do from then on. So we can see that it is possible to be a God-fearing tax collector. But for Matthew, he knew that if he wanted to follow Jesus as a disciple following after a rabbi, he would need to leave everything behind. He cannot even be a part-time tax collector because he would have to follow Jesus around. And he chose to consecrate and lay down this old wife. This tax collector story is recorded in the three synoptic gospels. And in Mark's and Luke's gospel, the name Levi was used. But they didn't identify him as Matthew. So actually, if you just read those two two stories there, without referring to Matthew, you wouldn't have identified him as Matthew. Only in Matthew's own account did he use that name, Matthew. You know, a few weeks ago at staff meeting, we had a Chinese guest speaker, and she was, uh, you know, speaking to the staff, and she referred to one of our pastors, and I heard her say, uh, and from the context I get it, she was talking about Reverend Chris Ho. So I was wondering, hey, how come it's so strange to call him which means literally this particular pastor? I thought maybe also not very respectful. Huh? Then later I found out actually what she said was, Right? So it was uh, Reverend Chris Ho's uh, Chinese name. His name is Zhiming uh, Mushi. And Reverend Chris Ho, these two, they're actually one and the same person. Right? One used more commonly perhaps by the Chinese congregation and the other one more familiar to us. Right? In the New Testament, it is not uncommon to have people who are known by two names, one Hebrew and one Greek. And in this case, it was Matthew the Apostle who was also known as Levi the tax collector. And I believe the name Levi was used in both Mark's and Luke's account primarily because that's a Greek name he went by when he was a tax collector working for the secular government, right? So that name made sense. But in Matthew's own account of the story, he had deliberately put his own Hebrew name down, even when he was writing about the 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 to 4, when he was listing the 12 apostles, he listed and identified himself as Matthew the tax collector. Right? These details suggest to me that he didn't want to just let people know that there was a tax collector who was saved, It seems that he's emphasizing that he was the tax collector in the story who was saved. He was emphasizing this aspect of his identity. You know, everyone here, you all know who Lionel Messi is, right? And if I ask you, who is Lionel Messi, what would you say? Not many people answer, so maybe you don't watch football, right? Uh, Striker, right? He's a striker. He's a footballer, uh, and uh, we all know that, right? Uh, Some of you don't answer because you're Ronaldo fans. Right, uh, but, but you know this, like, uh, he's a footballer, but at the same time, he's also a businessman. He actually owned a chain of restaurants and hotels. Not many people know this. But despite that, Messi will never be known as the hotel owner. Right? He will be always identified as a footballer, greatest of all time, because football is such a key aspect of what we know of Messi. So if we were to ask, why was Matthew so keen to identify himself with his past profession as a tax collector? I think the fact that he deliberately identified himself this way probably tells us that being a tax collector was a key aspect of his life. There was a key, significant part of his identity before knowing Jesus. 
And consequently, him leaving the profession was a major thing, and it also marks to him a big testimony of God's grace in his life. Hence, leaving the job as a tax collector is not merely a simple job change. It was literally everything. And when he invited all of his fellow tax collectors to the feast he made for Jesus, it was as good as announcing his own resignation. Right? And in doing that, he's offering up his livelihood, his reputation, his friends, his life, his everything right, to make that feast. That's the extent of his consecration. You know, anyone can celebrate, anyone can make a feast, but Matthew made a feast to the Lord. Where the physical feast is the mere food and drinks, but the spiritual feast is his offering of his life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Where consecration and celebration are two key ingredients to a feast. There can be no feast if there is nothing offered up, and it's not a feast if there is no celebration. And one of the first few mentions of making a feast to the Lord is recorded in Exodus 4-5. This was before God gave Israel the commandments. The Israelites were still slaves in Egypt, and God had commanded Moses to talk to Pharaoh to let the people go. So I put out some of the verses on the screen. Uh, it's not just these alone. Actually, many um, verses in this part actually um, use the same words. But you can just see those underlying words on the screen. When Moses told Pharaoh that the Israelites wanted to go to the desert to serve God, he understood it also as holding a feast to him. Right? In those days, in Moses' mind, in the people's mind, serving God and holding a feast to him is synonymous. In the ancient world, serving a God usually also means offering sacrifices as a feast to them. Or to seek an audience with a God, the devotees will have to offer up sacrifices. And the idea is usually to placate or to appease the God so that they will listen to you favorably. But you also see this played out in the Chinese superstitions and myths as well. In some Chinese households, they have a kitchen god in the kitchen. And there's a myth that goes that during every Chinese New Year, the kitchen god will have to go back to the Jade Emperor and tell him all the good things and bad things that happen in the family. It sounds a bit like the Chinese version of Santa Claus, right? If you have been good, then this year maybe more blessings. If you have been bad, then maybe too bad. So in order to make sure that the kitchen god gave a good report during Chinese New Year, the families will offer up many sweet and sticky candies. Right? Some of those candies you can see you know, being sold um, at, a, at a supermarket uh, nowadays. So that the kitchen god will only say sweet stuff if you offer up the sweet and sticky candies. But if they cannot say sweet stuff, right, but at least uh, hopefully the sticky candies would have uh, sealed his mouth shut from saying bad things. Right? So that's the idea. And in many pagan cultures, offerings and sacrifices are used to coax entice or even coerce the, the deity into granting the followers requests. You know, this is, however, vastly different for our God. In the Old Testament, as we have read from Exodus, holding a feast to God is to serve Him by offering up sacrifices. But behind the specific instructions on what and how to offer the sacrifices for the different feasts lie the idea of consecration. To feast is to consecrate. But what God ultimately wants to consecrate is our hearts, not the sacrifices. The sacrifices were merely symbolic. Right? That's the essence of what God meant when He says He desires obedience, not sacrifice. It's about the inside, not the outside. And later when you receive Ampao, you know what I mean. Right? It's the inside that counts. <laughs> now I'm a bit worried about the Ampao I gave earlier. In our modern day context, feasting is commonplace. Our title today, Making a Feast to the Lord, you know, it can be quite abstract. We don't actually make many physical feasts in church today. 
And if I were to break down concretely what the phrase means, I would say it is to serve God by offering ourselves for His purpose. Well, this is exactly what Paul meant in Romans 12:1, where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is the way you serve God. If we compare the Exodus verse and what Paul says in Romans 12:1, we'll find some similarities. Right, both talk about serving God through the offering of sacrifices. What is different is that in Exodus, it's offering a physical feast through animal sacrifice. Or in Romans 12, it's offering spiritual feast through our lives as a living sacrifice. Hence, to make a feast to the Lord is to serve God by offering ourselves for His purpose. You know, now practically, what does that look like? I'll have to give us some application for today, right? And I will anchor it on uh, this Chinese character called Fu. You know, Fu is uh, something that is uh, very popular in Chinese New Year because it literally means blessings. So I'll end with three Fu for you guys. Okay, the first Fu is be purposeful. <laughs> right, in the Bible, making a feast to the Lord means to serve the Lord, right? And if we want to consecrate our feasting to God, then we've got to be purposeful. But we've got to see that God has a purpose too in our feasting, even though the origins of our feasting may have nothing to do with God. When Matthew invited his tax collector's friends to his party, I wonder what he told them. Well, I'm quite sure he didn't say, oh, come, come, because I'm holding a feast for Jesus. Well, the Bible says that the tax collectors and others were reclining at the table. They are not tense up, you know, looking, waiting for this person to speak. It tells us that it was a fairly relaxing environment, something that you will probably expect of a normal house party or house gathering. Matthew didn't say that it was an evangelistic rally because, honestly, it wasn't. He probably told his friends that, oh, it's just a normal, regular party or maybe it was his farewell party or maybe just a normal gathering where he may need to make some announcements. The point is, the people at the party most probably didn't go looking for Jesus. Well, likewise, for this Chinese New Year, many of our friends and families are not gathering for Jesus. But it doesn't matter what they are gathering for because we can still make it a feast for Jesus and serve Him and be purposeful about it. Right, so how to be purposeful, right? So there are many ways. I think today I'll just give like perhaps one way. I think one way is to be purposeful in presenting the kingdom to them. Right, what do I mean by that? It doesn't necessarily mean sharing the gospel outright because I don't think many people will outrightly ask you to explain Jesus to them because that takes a certain amount of readiness and it usually takes place after you've been talking to them for a while. But many people do ask questions about church, like what you do there, you know, what you go church for. These are usually the less invasive questions and maybe sometimes they're just asking for fun. They're not really interested to find out anyway. But I think our responses matter because in these trivial engagements, there are sometimes opportunities, windows of opportunities to present a glimpse of God's kingdom to them. So while it might be... Uh, just a trivial thing for them, we should not take it uh, trivially. You know, some time ago when uh, Joy and I were having dinner with our family, her nephew, her nephew suddenly asked her, you know, E, how come you go to uh, church just now? It's quite a common question, right? I think later when you go for your Chinese New Year lunch later, your family and friends will probably ask you, ah, first day, uh, you go to church, uh, why need to go to church on the first day of Chinese New Year? Right, what will you say? Right, I think being purposeful means that we don't let these moments slip by, but seize them to present the kingdom to them, even if it is just in very small parts. So Joy was also caught off guard at that time, but she gave a response just from the top of her head, and she said, like, oh, we go to church to worship God. 
And then Nephew was like, oh, okay. And then the conversation moved on somewhere. And that's actually uh, not a wrong answer, right? Nobody will say that's wrong. But later that night, we talked about it again, and I was wondering if we could have given a better answer that could better present the kingdom of God. Because I know that in many of such interactions, we only have one or two sentences to give. Right? We don't have a whole essay to explain oh, what we are doing, right? Uh, but in that, sh- uh, that short interaction, how can we make it better? So we talked about this. Then I felt that actually, I think our response was not very adequate. Because when we say we go to church to worship God, I'm thinking maybe to the pre-believer, he may uh, think something like, oh, it's just like me going to temple or go somewhere else to worship my deity. Right? And sometimes I think uh, perhaps we could do a little bit better than that. So after we talked about a while, we came up with this, right? So we decided that next time, if people ask us, hey, why you, go, why you need to go to church? Then I will say that like, we go to church to worship God together, right? together with other people who are believers as well. And then if they ask you, hey, why must worship God together? Why cannot just do it alone at home? Uh, to be honest, sometimes we tell our, our friends that, right? Oh, we can go worship God anywhere. Then like that, why you go to church? Right? So hopefully that makes them curious. And then we can share with them that when we believe in God, we are now reconnected back to our Father. And the believers are now all one family. So we worship together. It's just like family coming together. Right? So I, I don't, I'm not saying that this is the, the right answer or best answer. Uh, because what is helpful differs from person to person. And you know best. There could well be a variety of good answers as well. I think the point is here to be purposeful, to think and pray about how we can present God's kingdom in our conversations. All right, and the second fool for today is be merciful. Right, in Matthew's account of the same story, right, there was a part where the Pharisees asked why Jesus was eating with the sinners. And his response was, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right, so Jesus made a reference back to the Old Testament practice of sacrifice here and said that the sacrifice itself was never the point. Right, in 1 Samuel, he says that he desires obedience. And here he says he desires mercy. And these two, we can see they are related because our consecration is our obedience and showing mercy or compassion is one expression of this. You know, there might be people among our families and friends who are in difficult situations too, even as we celebrate Chinese New Year. And sometimes the festivity itself may make it all the more challenging for them because everyone seems happy, but they are troubled. So I would like to encourage us to keep a lookout for those people right, as we gather. Maybe they're just looking for somebody to talk to, or maybe they need a prayer for something. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to the needs of others. A few years ago, before COVID, uh, Joy and I were hosting some relatives at our place during Chinese New Year. And in the midst of all the conversation and hanging around, I saw one of the helpers at the corner of our room, standing next to the picture of a map of Indonesia that we have on the wall. Well, I didn't really think much of it back then. But in hindsight, I thought perhaps she might have missed home as well because she was looking at the map of her own home country. Well, everyone is gathering with their families. So I remember striking up a conversation with her about the map, and then after talking for a while, I was able to share the gospel with her and prayed for her. And what was amazing to me and to, 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 to some of our, um, the, the Christians in the family was that like, I was able to share in Bahasa Indonesia. Uh, and actually, if you know me, my Bahasa is almost uh, non-existent. Right? So it was just help of uh, Google Translate and some vocabulary that was like, deep-seated somewhere else in my head. Like, God managed to use that to craft out something that was understandable to the helper. Right? So I think... You know, the Holy Spirit, when we listen to Him, right, He can work wonders. So that is like our five loaves and two fishes, right? Remember the previous sermon uh, a few weeks ago. 
So let's also, you know, ask God, you know, what can we give? How can we use those small opportunities, right, for His glory? You know, sometimes we may associate mercy only with the homeless and the destitute. But the fact of the matter is that actually everyone needs mercy, everyone needs compassion. Because the tax collectors were materially rich, but Jesus saw that they needed mercy, and this mercy was addressed to them. So my friends, I encourage us right, to not just uh, to broaden our, our mind in, in this matter about compassion and mercy, and indeed there might be people just in our midst, even in this festive season as well. Right, and finally, the third fool for today is be joyful. Right, it's uh, good to end with uh, joy. In a later part of this story here, Pharisees, the Pharisees challenged Jesus and asked him, you know, why the disciples were feasting instead of fasting. And Jesus replied with an analogy that he is the bridegroom and the wedding guests need not fast when the bridegroom is with them. That's because they should be joyful and celebrating when the VIP is right there with them. I think so. Even as we try to be purposeful and merciful and make this a spiritual feast to the Lord, I want to encourage us that when we consecrate our feast to the Lord, He becomes the VIP of our celebration. And if He is with us, we can have not just the festive joy, but also the joy of the Lord. Right? Can you turn to your neighbor and say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? We can be that vessel to bring God's joy. Amen? Very often, you know, the heart of feasts and festival uh, is caught, not taught. So I hope that as we feast with joy, our friends and families will also, through us, catch a glimpse of God's love and joy. Right, to sum up, today we've looked at the story of Matthew, the tax collector, and how he made a feast to the Lord. Right, to feast is to celebrate, and to feast is to consecrate. And to make a feast to the Lord is to offer up ourselves to serve His purpose. So as we feast physically later, may we also offer up a spiritual feast to the Lord. Right, shall we all stand to worship the Lord? Let's just praise Him right, with, the, with this song and remember that He is our joy. Yes, Lord. Let's, let's, let's praise Jesus. Hallelujah.
celebrate a day of celebration, a day of the joy. It's also a day that we bring the joy of the Lord to the people around us. Amen. Amen. Right, so before we go, let me say a blessing for all of us here. You know the Chinese church has got So today I also will pray 12 fools for us. Okay, let's pray. Right, Father God, we want to thank you for being here with us today. And I pray that you empower us to be purposeful, merciful, and joyful. And in our interactions with our family and friends, may we be cheerful, delightful, and respectful. And as we endeavor to serve you in this festive season, may you bless us to be fruitful, successful, and bountiful. And for the rest of the year, help us become more youthful, beautiful, and wonderful. Right? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>